Welcome back to another episode of House to House. It is your boy, Kyler. Across me as always, the guy who picked a pack of pickled peppers, Peter. What's up, everyone? Hello, hello. And last but not least, the big bad boss, David Bay. <laughs> what the heck was that? <laughs> Wait, do you actually do a wolf howl or was that your Michael Jackson impression? You know, sometimes the, the wolf has to clear the throat so you go... Oh, oh, oh. Wow, wow, look at this guy. Really going to full character, man. <laughs> commit, right? You have to commit. Yeah, yeah, good. I, I really appreciate the character commitment. <laughs> Alright, before we begin, I just want to say, hey guys, happy belated 6-9 to y'all, ah. 6-9? Yeah. Uh, Bay, do you get the reference? No. Look at, look at today's date. Like, as of recording. Like, look at today's date and then see what was yesterday's date. Well... When you marry, the thing is dinner. <laughs> hey, come on. You can always spice things up, man. Yeah, with chocolate worry. chips. Like, yeah, but, you know, it's just, it's just like that. It's not. Well, you can always start by consuming chocolate chips first, you know, and then move on to other stuff later on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, listeners, moving on to today's topic. So, actually, the whole ecosystem of personal finance is interlinked and sort of interweave with each other. So more people are familiar with like, you know, like how much you need to save, uh, your CPF, having an investment portfolio, you know, this kind of more well-known terms. But when it comes to housing, people don't like to deal with it before they're actually supposed to. I, I personally call it the issue of personal finance network. Like the people who have to deal with it is because they have no choice. Like they work there. Like us. <laughs> yes. And it's double for me because I'm in the housing industry, plus I actually stay in Ishun. So there's like really no chance of escaping for me. So today, we are going to have our first example of a crossover between the more well-known terms and the less well-known terms. And you know, see how they are actually related to each other and how it's important for you too. We, we sort of become like the MCU now, you know, the, 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 the mortgage content universe yeah that's what we are now <laughs> you try very hard bro hey that's all i do i only try hard, you try hard yeah. <laughs> anyway today we'll be discussing about the balance between the down payment of your house versus saving up for an emergency fund and you know see whether we can strike a balance between the two also because the two mortgage masters we have with us used to work and even met at redacted a personal finance company they're the best people to ask for insights and advice from the years and years of experience that they have. So first, let's set up some definitions, you know, to make sure that, you know, we're on the same page, there's a similar understanding between us and also for the listeners. Okay, so let's start with the down payment. Bay, can you explain to everyone what a down payment is? A down payment is when you buy something and then you put some money down. That's why it's called down payment. <laughs> Okay, let's put this into the housing loan context. What's a down payment then? Okay, so we talk about down payment and the definition which I just mentioned. So, uh, as, as, uh, thanks for doing this, Kyler, because people have different definitions of the same term. So, the, the, the way that I will recognize down payment is the portion of money you put down to reserve a property before you make your other payments. And the other payments may come in loan, may come in CPF, may come in cash, but you have to reserve it first. So that's what I mean by down payment, the reservation payment. 
Mm, so that's what it is, like, essentially. It's a reservation fee. That's how I look at down payment, yes. Oh, then uh, I would like to ask if a down payment only exists if uh, you take a mortgage. Because, because if you don't take a mortgage, which means you pay the house in full already, right? So if you pay it in full, does this mean you still need to make a down payment? Yes, you do. So, when, you know when you reserve something, you can cancel it. Sometimes there's penalties, sometimes there's no penalties. If you make a reservation at your favourite restaurant and then you don't turn up, the restaurant will get pissed off with you and or may tell you you cannot reserve in the future. But that reservation is a down payment. So when you down pay, it doesn't mean that you are going to guarantee buy. It's just reserving it for yourself. Okay, what, what you asked is actually the real interesting part where there's a global understanding of what down payment is. However, in Singapore context, a down payment is what you put down before you pay everything else at a later date. So it may be a loan, it may be if you are rich or you have enough CPF, it may be full cash or CPF with no loan. Um, then globally, then you have that down payment is 100%. But in Singapore context, the down payment is the initial payment. Everything else, even if you have no loan, is still the rest. So yeah, in, in my definition, colloquial Singapore term or Southeast Asian term or Asian term maybe even is the initial, the initial placement of fees and then the rest. And how you pay the rest uh, doesn't matter because colloquially down payment is the initial. Hmm, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Then would you say the down payment is something like a deposit? Like, you know, when you check into a hotel, you need to make a deposit like 50 to $200 to make sure you behave yourself and like not trash the room. Lah. So would you say that it's something like a deposit, except that this deposit you cannot take back and rather instead it goes to paying part of your house? Yes, something like that. I mean, in Singapore context, it's very obvious, right? People advertise, go to add-in IKEA courts or whatever, down $1, get this thing, bring it home. And that's down is from the word down payment. They never talk about every initial payment after that. They can literally ask you to take a credit card loan or you can actually, you know, somehow work out some payment scheme with, with this company. Oh, is it? I, I didn't even know courts at IKEA had this down thing. Oh, courts for the longest time had $1 down payment. Uh, so that was what made them famous. Oh, like. so... You just pay everything else after that, lah. Yeah. Ah, I see, I see. Okay. Actually, funny enough, you uh, mentioned and brought up Singapore because that's actually where I want to move next. Um, because I think that Singapore is sort of in a unique situation where we have the HDB loan. And the HDB loan allows us to pay with our CPF, meaning that there is no need for cash to be paid. Hence, not needing to touch the emergency savings, uh, coming back to today's topic. But if people opt for the bank loan or if they choose to buy private property like condos and landed property instead, that means they have no choice but to take a bank loan. 5% of it needs to be paid in cash. So there's a very stark difference between the two. So firstly, can we say that people who take HDB loans will never face this dilemma of having to find the middle point for down payment versus emergency funds? Yeah, I mean, that's... That's main. That's the the main mindset that most people go into when when considering a HDB loan. They simply don't want to uh to put up any cash upfront. Most likely because they don't have that much cash upfront to, you know, to set aside in the first place. And yeah, it's like one of the very reasons why people might even opt to take an HDB loan. Is it? Yeah, and and as we mentioned in the last episode, like like 
for BTOs. To, to me, this makes the most sense. Uh, I, I shared my own experience of how I, I thought I was being smart by going with a bank loan when applying for a BTO and how I had to pay a, you know, a 10% down payment in cash. So that's 20000 just out the window, just like that. And this is five years before I even get to move into my house. So which means that uh, we, we as a, a couple are 20K out of pocket five years before we even get a chance to move in. So it, it, it took out a chunk of our emergency fund in that sense. And we had to be sure that you know, we could spare it, which is a decision I think most uh, couples for BTO want to make like, or, or, or don't need to make. That's what we're saying. Uh, we're saying that by right, if you're applying for BTO, you should just stick with a HDB loan first at the initial application stage. There's no need to come out with any cash upfront. Mm, okay. Well, let's move on to emergency funds now. Peter, could you explain to the audience and listeners what an emergency fund really is? Uh, so there's no hard and fast definition for emergency fund. Um, but the general understanding is that you want to have a safety net in case something happens to you, in case something happens to your, uh, to your income, your ability to earn. You want to have uh, enough savings and liquid savings that you can uh you don't really have a drop uh, a significant drop in your in your quality of life in your standard of living simply because you can't afford to live that way anymore so say you have all these financial commitments you know uh your your daily needs your family's daily needs you want to be able to still be able to afford all these things even if there's uh something that happens to to your ability to earn income so for example yeah, I mean, I, I lose my ability to do my job temporarily. It could be, I'm, you know, I'm tired, I want to take a, a, long, a long break and I want to take non, non-paid leave. Uh, it could be even something like, oh, uh, someone else, someone close to me, a loved one, has a need for this financial, uh, for, for some financial backing maybe because they are the ones who have a medical and you want to be able to, to, to pay for them. Because mm, to support them, uh. yeah, because they, they can't do it on their own. So so whatever reason you have, you you save up a certain amount of money, um, that you can set aside without affecting your your usual standard of living, and that's what we consider an emergency fund. Okay, so um, when I was researching for this topic, I came across a few articles uh posting some questions and opinions saying like, uh. Why, why do I need to take out a certain portion of my salary every month and put inside the emergency fund when I already have insurance? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, a great, uh, that's a great question. And to me, the immediate answer is because sometimes the claiming process might be a, a bit more complicated than this, and sometimes you need the money sooner than later. Uh, insurance is usually, it's definitely great and it's always easier than, than saving the money on your own, no doubt about it. But when you can get those funds, when you can access those funds, and if you can access those funds, that's technically not up to you. So, so you, don't want it, you don't want that entire decision to be out of your hands. I'm not saying that insurance is bad. I'm just saying that usually we still need to have an emergency fund of ours. We control the 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 finances we control you know the ability to to draw from those finances that's why they need to be liquid that's why they need to be at least able to tide you over a few months right i i think your phrase of sooner than later really sort of summed it up 
to what my definition of an emergency fund is because when I think of emergency fund, I think of convenient liquidity. Like, money you can take out fast. Because yes, your insurance can cover some things like your medical side, but it won't cover everything because there are some things you can't use insurance to cover. Am I right to say that? Yep. Yeah, so like, for example, if you need to hire a helper or an assistant, you think your insurance scheme will cover for that? Ah, no fam. And I think your, if let's say your cash in your emergency stash, right, is invested into bonds and stocks, that doesn't exactly provide the ideal convenience also. Like what you're looking for is money you can sort of withdraw immediately, like from an ATM, from a bank, these kind of things. Yep. Mm, there's a line there's a line there's a line between what you say and what an emergency fund in my opinion is um you mean what you're saying right now is just liquid funds and okay supposing you got a million bucks extra in your life right now right and that's pure extra everything is in assets in your house in 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 important stuff okay so you have a million dollars extra what you're going to do with that million right maybe if you're more conservative uh you buy one a unit trust of fixed income, 50%, a unit trust in some stocks, 30%, and then you got twenty, you got $200,000 left, right? So this $200,000, what are you going to do with it? $100,000 will be emergency funds, which I'm going to lock up and not even let it be liquid because, and the other 100K is liquid. What do you mean by liquid? If, if my wife decides to say, if you love me, bring me on a holiday, if not, bye-bye, that is not emergency funds. That is using my liquid cash. The emergency funds is emergency funds. Only break glass if necessary. It's not for nothing. It's not for co- just cause. Right. It's like the fire extinguisher when the fire happens. Uh. Yeah. Correct. Right. If, if, my, if my wife tells me, if you love me, bring me holiday. If not, I don't, I don't love you. I will leave you. That's not emergency. Sounds like an emergency. It <laughs> I think later on, uh, in one of the points, we'll go into what really consists, what really constitutes as an emergency. But I think coming back to um, emergency funds, I when I was when I was reading the articles, a lot of sources actually said that uh, there is a general rule of thumb, and you should have at least six months worth of expenses in your emergency fund. Uh, I want to ask if both of you agree with that rule of thumb. Wait, six months is that sufficient, or do you all have another structure that you all follow? I agree. But you see, it's just six months of your expenses, right? That is really emergency. Don't touch. Break only if necessary. It is six months of your, of your extra. Then for not need basis, uh, one basis, uh, yeah, I think I still need to go enrichment class. Let's break glass if necessary. That's not an emergency. That's a one. That's not a need. Mm. Peter, do you agree? Yeah, so so I think we, we need to understand why that mentality exists. So, so we are talking about the barest of bare minimums here. Six months of expenses means that you want to make sure that you don't uh, overdraft your credit cards. You know, you don't end up having to incur more interest because you can't pay back in full. For example, your insurance premiums don't lapse uh, because you can't afford them anymore. So your insurance coverage doesn't last because you can't afford the premiums anymore. This is the barest minimum because basically you want to be able to keep paying for these things even though you've lost your income or even though you know, uh, your income has been reduced or whatever because the cost of losing these, these uh, things or the cost of not being able to pay these things as per normal 
it's even worse than losing your income. You get what I mean? Yeah, because credit card interest rates are uh, ridiculously high. Insurance coverage, if you lose it, if you don't, if you stop paying your premium and you lose it, that's just a, a big waste. Uh, so, so being able to at least cover six months worth of these expenses is the bare, bare, bare minimum. Uh, but what we are talking about is also like emergency funds in case your expenditure needs increase. So, so I'm talking about not just that you lose your, you know, not just that you lose income, but that your needs, um, like we talked about that, that uh, say a domestic helper because uh, suddenly you have unable to move around at home or you need assistance to do things. Suddenly these become, you know, additional costs on top of the existing expenses you need. So ultimately, in my opinion, six months of your salary, that is at least uh, a happy medium. Um, so you're not only covering your expenses, you're able to save or you're able to at least cover any extra expenses you might end up incurring because of such a situation. But yeah, agree, totally agree with Bay. This is a, you know, break glass only in emergency kind of situation. Don't touch it. Don't, don't even be tempted to put it into an investment product. Uh, because, yeah, as in this, to me, and, and this might sound stupid or not very money smart, but this is really the kind of thing where you put cash into a thing and then you hide it under your kind of situation. You want it to be quick and you really want to be able to use it at the drop of a hat without any, any uh, sort of like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe this is not an emergency yet kind of situation. Right. Okay. Got you. Got you. Then can, okay, so from what I've gathered, we are on the consensus that an emergency fund should be kept out of reach. It's like break glass when necessary, that kind of situation. So is it, is an emergency fund very different from a savings account? Like should it be kept entirely separate, like two different things entirely? Or is an emergency fund and a savings account interchangeable to a certain degree? What do oh, you mean? Yeah. Okay, as in, as in, like, okay, la, I, I, I guess my example was a bit extreme. Yes, I mean, if you can put it into a savings account where you will, le- you will earn the, the bare minimum of, of interest, but it's liquid because you can, you know, you can withdraw it at one shot if necessary without any, any cost, that extra cost to you, then yes, that's, that's what I mean. La. Uh, so in that sense, there's no difference. The idea is to make sure that it's liquid, make sure you can access it, yeah, Make readily sure there's no available. cost to accessing it. Yeah. Readily available funds. So it should not be kept under your bed or in a place where it's not readily available, but it also should not be touched as and when you like it. So uh, for example, in my situation, I have an, a, a separate bank account. With, when I say readily available, it means that all I need to do is walk down to the bank to get it out. Yep. It's not that hard. Yeah. Right. Okay. But it it must have also like some kind of restriction lah, where you can where you just put your card in and then withdraw all the money or so lah. Yeah. I also have my everyday bank account, right? And if I really, really lack money, all I need to do is pick up the phone. Peter, can you transfer me like five hundred bucks? I mean, if you have lived life of integrity, you know, your friends will lend you like a couple of mm. lah. And then, to, and then on Monday, I'll go to that bank and then get the money back. Yeah. Mm, okay, okay. I, I think at the end of the day, it just all comes down to a sense of discipline. Uh. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we've more or less uh, answered why an emergency fund is, is important. But I just want to ask you in your own uh, 
your own lives and everything. How important is an emergency fund to you? Like, uh, should it be something that is prioritized once you start working? Where where do you all fall along this spectrum of importance? Few people should have emergency funds, whether it's three months or six months, it's up to them. Um, it takes a while to accumulate anyway. I mean, if you just started work today, how can you really have emergency funds? You didn't, you didn't have time to save up for it yet. Um, and, and it takes time to accumulate. And when you get there, just make sure you know you have already divided it and make sure that it's emergency. It takes a while to get there, right? If you want to save, like Peter, in his case, he said six months of your salary. Uh, I mean, if my salary increases, I need to top that up even more, right? Good problem. Yeah, but but let's say, okay, let's say I earn 3,000. I need 18K. Well, if I'm earning 3,000 and I've, that's my first job, which is a pretty decent paying job, I guess. You know, not everybody is degree. I'm talking in, in medium terms, right? Um, and I save 1K a month. It takes me one and a half years. And if you earn 3K and you save 1K a month, I will actually clap very loudly for you because it's it's tough. It's tough. We know you earn 3K, you take home 2004. <laughs> yeah. Mm, okay, then... Peter, what about you? Do you think it's something that everyone should prioritize, uh, like their first goal to strive for? Where, where do you, f- what do you think about this? Um, I, th- I think it's more important to understand why you are saving up for an emergency fund. Uh, I know, I know everything that I said is is one thing, and that's the theory, lah. Uh, as Babe pointed out, in practice, it really is very difficult, and sometimes it can feel foolish to uh, be saving, to setting aside money when you're starting out. Uh, because as we all know, time is money. Uh, uh, if you put, you know, if you put mon- money into investments early on and they start compounding, uh, you know, you actually can earn more in the in the long run, assuming steady growth. Uh, than if you start saving more, like ten years down the road, so it can seem a foolish to setting up so much at an age. So ultimately, you gotta be um, cleared with yourself what you are what you're saving it for and why you're, why you're setting aside this amount. Uh, so we talked about the expenses, right? Um, just because you earn, say, two th- your take-home pay is 2400 doesn't mean that you should be spending 2400 you know, on the spot. Yeah, so, so if your expenses are, say, only 1K a, a month, um, then all you need to say, the bare minimum that we talked about is like 6K, which I think is a lot more, you know, a lot easier to, to think about than, say, than, say 12K lah. Of of the bet, it's a lot so, more reasonable. Uh, and and when your and when your salary increases over time, it doesn't mean that your expenses need to increase proportionately. Yeah. So so exactly. yeah, so your salary increase could actually help you save faster. And because you only focus on your expenses, you only focus on on uh marking your uh, emergency fund based on the amount that you you are spending every month. Then you could actually reach that amount a lot faster than otherwise. What I tend to do is I tend to just think of a proportion. So my take-home pay is just divided into, say, 10% is emergency fund. And then maybe then it's investing. Uh, I tend to be conservative, so my investments aren't doing that good. But at least, it's, <laughs> at least they're technically more liquid and it's just as good as a savings account, although it is a bit silent. The opportunity cost of taking out if I need it is a bit sad when I see you know, the, the, the investment value go up over time. But ultimately, the idea is that amount is growing, whereas the ten percent that I've set aside is not growing at all. And so you got to understand why you need it. And thankfully, you know, in the past ten years that I've been working, I've never needed to really tap into the emergency fund, which is why I stupidly ended up using it for my down payment. Down, 
the emergency funds are supposed to be emergency, but if there's a huge need in life, well, at least you have a, a you know, a pot of gold somewhere that you can tap. It's somewhere where you can turn to, la, basically. Yep. Yeah, yeah, imagine yeah. If, you, if you didn't... Okay, the truth of the matter is how many of people listening to this podcast right now have savings that is significant even if you're working for five years, for 10 years? Um, if you're one of those, good. I'm going to tell you the truth is as an ex-banker managing people's finance, it is the older generation of those people today, maybe 45 and above, that actually have more discipline than the rest. Um, those, those, and, and I'm putting myself in, the, in that category. So since I'm 37 this year, 37 and below, all right? Because Peter has emergency funds. I didn't have much savings until I reached 32, you know? And, and I was earning my high income from 25 to 30. And I didn't have much savings because I am just ill-disciplined. Yep, fair enough. Yeah. And I'm talking about not when I was a banker, I earned really disgusting amounts of money. That money, I, I go out, I eat at restaurants almost every day. I invest in stuff, I lose, I make, you know, but it's never in a bank account easily. It's in the bank account only when I get my commission and then suddenly there's like tens of thousands there. And over the, over the next few months, it disappears. So, so the discipline that comes where you, where you invest your money and put it in an emergency fund, actually that pot of gold allows you to do more in life because without any big amount, you cannot execute. You cannot buy a house. You cannot buy a bond. A bond costs 250K. A house costs more. You, if you buy, to buy something decent, you need a decent amount of money to, to downpay. <laughs> so saying he used his emergency fund stupidly to downpay, well, I would say that's, that's, at least you had something to downpay. A lot of people don't have that ability. And if it wasn't for CPF, a lot of people right now can't own their HDB because they do not have the ability to downpay. Yep, totally agree. So, so I guess my, in my case, if I, if I had, if my property option was saved or or say a resale flat, then it wouldn't make sense to you know tap into that that savings, that emergency fund savings, and to use it for a down payment. The only the hilarious part of it is that you know because it's a BTO, that was the one time where I really didn't need to to tap into the into my cash savings to to fund a down payment. Yeah, but of course, yeah. Like the point is, um, if I was looking at at a a private property, can't tap into uh the the option of a HDB loan, then yes, having that emergency fund, having saved up that amount over time, being able to to put in the down payment in cash, that's a big deal, Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Well, let's now move on to the next point. Oh. I think we sort of already touched that, but now let's definitively move on to the next point. And now we're going to be talking about the striking of balance between the down payment and the emergency fund. And when I say striking a balance, I, I think for most people, the first obvious conflict between the two is that if people need to make a cash down payment for their house, they'll look towards the emergency fund. Like, they might be thinking, it's a house, wah. it falls under emergency. So now, let's set the record straight for everyone. Should people use emergency funds for down payments? Bay, what do you think? Yes and no. <laughs> okay, so uh, we, let's talk about no first, and then later on, I'll ask you again uh, for your point of yes. I mean, emergency funds is emergency break glass. So why do you need to use emergency break glass for something that you should be planned for? Because when you buy a house, you plan to buy a house. You don't anyhow buy a house, right? 
Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Peter, what do you think? Uh, do you think people should use their emergency funds for their house down payments? So, so I would say no, because in the typical situation, um, I, I'm just going to assume that, you know, we are talking about the average Singaporean who tends to buy a house just before they get married. Uh, we are talking about a lot of, of expenditure in a short amount of time. Uh, and so the temptation to use the emergency fund is very real. But it also, like Bay was saying, it also uh, implies a certain sense of discipline that if you're going to, if you know that all these expenses are coming up, then you need to have been budgeting for them way, way ahead of time. Your emergency fund should not be, you know, uh, should not be broken into. Otherwise, it implies that either you're not ready uh, for, for this financial commitment or worse, that once, uh, because you have so many more commitments moving forward, you know, like now you have a house, now you have, you know, uh, furnishings, now you have maybe other insurance policies that you need to pay for. You're even more in need of emergency fund should anything happen. So yeah, definitely. For me, it's a definitely no. Lah, as in, I'm, I'm interested to hear what base yes is, but I can't think of any yes on my own, even though I'm the guy that, again, for down payment. <laughs> okay, so on your point first, um, I agree. Because I also feel that, you know, like if you even have to look at your emergency fund as an option to help pay for your down payment, I think like it really brings up the question of like, are you even ready for a house, you know? But can it be... Can, can pe- some people push it to a certain extent? Like, oh, I, I mean, I'm quite financially savvy. You know, they might think that way. And then like, oh, I'm pretty sure I can use some portion of my fund for a down payment. Or should it always be the case where you don't even look at the emergency fund? Well, we're human. We, we can't help but know that the emergency fund exists, right? Mm. But I mean... Technically, if you need the money from your emergency fund to pay down payment, how are you going to cover your other housing expenses like your insurance, your renovation, your repairs? That's why loans exist. (laughs) Although it's not the best option, but they exist. But but, but that's also an interesting conundrum, right? Because it's like if you do have money, or as in in use use emergency funds first and then if you need, then you borrow. Desperate times calls for desperate measures. uh. We are a generation of people who are highly leveraged. Yep. Unfortunately, not as much as the West, but it's still a generation that, of high leverage people. Mm. Okay, so, so, so basically for me, it's, it depends on how uh, disciplined you've been in the past. So say you've really been saving up 12 months of your monthly salary, you know, that kind of really high, high standard of like, are you sure you really want so much money, you know, just in liquid cash lying around? Uh, then I think you can afford to say spend dig into it so that you're, you're down to say six months of your monthly salary or if you're really you know that desperate to use that amount of money you can even lower it to six months of your ex- of, of your expenses or 12 months of your expenses so eating at your emergency fund is a case by case basis yeah I mean I think it, at the end of the day it really comes yeah. down to individual like how disciplined how much control yeah. they have uh, with their finances uh, okay now Bay, you just now you mentioned yes and no just now. I'm sure there are times where it's actually more wise to use funds from your emergency stash to pay for the down payment. So come tell us what are some of these very niche scenarios that one could fall under. Oh, it's it's more like you weigh the pros and cons. Okay, so this is something that I tell my clients, right? Uh, and I tell you quite often. Now, when you talk about house and your monthly expenses for your your life, right? You have money you give 
your parents, hopefully. Uh, you have transport costs, you have food costs, you have house costs. And house costs would be your mortgage and then your PUD bills, right? Now, let's say I have a need to use my emergency funds for something. Um, that, you know, you can divide your emergency funds into different portions, right? For my living expenses. If I do not wipe out my CPF and I have 12 months to 24 months of monthly installments in my CPF, that is my emergency funds for my housing mortgage. So therefore, my cash emergency funds don't need to have that expenditure. Then it is significantly lesser, right? Instead of, if my monthly mortgage is, let's say, 1,005, um, instead of having $18,000, if I have $18,000 $1, in my CPF ordinary account extra, then I don't have to have $18,000 cash extra for that house. And, and something that I tell my clients is this, right? Look, uh, if I'm in trouble today, okay, I pick up the phone and I say, hey, Ky Kyler boy boy, can you treat me lunch? Peter, do you mind? I'm super broke. Do you mind sending some food over to my house? Not just for me, but my whole family. I think that Peter would be actually very happy to do so. And again, having lived a life of integrity and also being good to your friends, I can be, I can honestly say, I believe I can do 60 of these a month and, and I can rotate it every three months and I would not use up all my friends who are willing to treat me a meal every three months. I have 90 friends. No, 60 a month. I have 180 friends. I literally probably can find 180 friends. Your friends are willing to pay your food for you. Your family is definitely willing to pay your meals for you, but nobody is going to pay your mortgage for you. Coming from a mortgage house to house, the podcast, please have 18 months no, 12 to 24 months of housing installments in your cpf leftover if possible take more loan if necessary i mean 20k more loan it's not about making the money i make 30 bucks if you take 20k more loan i don't need that 30 bucks but it's for your own safety that, that to me is the emergency funds that you can't touch the cash portion well if need be right like you said renovation loan do i want to pay interest if I don't want to pay interest, I use my emergency funds and then refund re, it. La. It saves me money in the long run. It is stupid to use it. It's not supposed to be used at all. Yes. But mathematically, if you know you still have a job, if you know you're in good health, you know, you know it's very contradictory, right? What I said in the beginning, only use if, you only use in emergency. But right now I'm saying that, well, you don't want to pay interest, right? <laughs> so contradictory as it is, in my opinion, the real emergency funds is the house because you need a roof over your head. Food people can provide for you. I mean, people will be happy to provide for you unless you really are not a very nice human being. But house, nobody's gonna, you know. Yeah, like nobody's gonna cover you for that. Like nobody's gonna plunge you. Yeah, uh, Kyla, do you mind if you treat me lunch? And uh, can I say no? <laughs> you probably, even if you want to say no, you probably won't, right? You will just say, oh, okay, law. Yes, la, yes, la, boss. Of course, I'll treat you lunch. Yeah, but Tyler, can I stay over in your house because I got, I, I have, my house got, uh, my house got repossessed. Yeah, for one night, I'll probably we play Dota together. Yeah, exactly, right? So, that's, that's a big difference, right? When, I could probably ask you to treat me lunch once every two weeks. There are 14 guys in office. <laughs> <laughs> The, but the truth is, you probably would be okay with that. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. I I agree. I I and I think this very nicely brings in the second conflict, um, when it comes to striking a balance between the down payment and the emergency fund, because I think that there are definitely some people out there who think they can get away with getting a house first before building that emergency fund, and 
you know, they might have their reasons. They might feel like, oh, they won't have much use for emergency fund. They, you know, they take care of themselves. They hardly get into accidents. It's it's as if like, you know, their character, they pump all their skill points into luck, that kind. So, do y'all think it's possible to sort of get away with with this route of getting a house first before even building that emergency fund? Mm. It really is a case-by-case basis, right? Like, at the end of the day, uh, the danger of doing that, of putting the house before the emergency fund, is that what happens if you need the money? Lah? You know, what happens if you're in a situation where you can't afford to pay the upkeep on your house? Uh, if you are, you know, if you chose a HDB loan, then maybe it's not so bad because HDB is known to be uh, much more lenient. But if you are in a bank, a bank loan situation, then you know, you you are in quite a fair bit of trouble like, if you can't make the payments, um, especially if it's from your CPF. If you can't even pay from your CPF, like what B was saying, um, if you don't have that uh, 18, 12 to 24 months worth of uh, monthly mortgage payments in your CPF, then then you're essentially, you know, the, the, the house to go for first is much higher and that's, that's unfortunate. Like. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really weird thing to say, but honestly, if, unless there's a real need to get out uh, and to move into your own place that you own, there really should not be any reason why you focus on getting the house first before building up the emergency fund, in my opinion. So, is there a case where people can actually get away with getting a house first before uh, building the emergency fund? Or generally just lowering the priority of getting the emergency fund? Um, that's actually how most of us live our lives, right? Um, I would say it's not the right way. Um, but you, you have to prepare for emergencies. So the, 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 kind, the kind thing about, about living in a country like ours is that there is a huge support system in normal circumstances. Like, uh, in different age groups, right? Like me, Peter, Kyla, we are of different age groups, but we have our parents, we have our friends, we have um, places where we can find solace in knowing that we have emergency contacts. <laughs> we don't need emergency funds that much. But you cannot always count on being lucky. So how many, like, just just don't behave like that. Like. It's, it's, it's actually a bit irritating to me for somebody to feel that I'm the luckiest guy in the world and that's why I can get away with it. I'm like, okay, when you don't, honestly, I will actually say, are you all right? Do you need my help? Ha ha. In that order. La. Yeah, I mean, nice guy. La. That's why, I, yeah, people treat me lunch la, 30 days of life. Okay, so now let's shift away from this battle, this whole conundrum of like, uh, which one is more important, which one you can put this in, whether we can get away with this or not. And let's talk more about who. Uh, who do you think may be the type of people who has a higher tendency to, who have a higher tendency to fall victim to this inability to balance uh, the down payment and the emergency fund? So in my head, right, when I see this topic, like who might have trouble between trying to find that middle point between a down payment and an emergency fund? For me, I think 
the type of demographic is first-time buyers and first-time homeowners who don't really have a reasonable size saving yet. I won't, I won't disagree with you, but like I said, it's needs, needs at once, right? If you are not overstretching yourself to buy a, an expensive house and your need is to buy a house and, and having a roof over your head in any day, right? If it's a decent house, decent HDB, you know, don't buy the five room if you only can afford a three room. And then for that three room, right? Or the two room even, you need to use your emergency funds. Silly as it is, again, contradictory to what I said earlier, using it, it's, there's no crime in that because it's to use for a need. If you use your emergency funds for a want, you know, a house can be a need or a want, just to clarify. But if you use it for a want, then, then you're a fool. <laughs> but if you use it for a need, I don't think I don't think there should be any blame or guilt over that. I, th I think the reason for me would be people who don't fall into the nice, um, convenient categories. Uh, because when you think about it, if you're if you're young and then you you want to get married, uh, and you say you're both Singapore citizens or one of you is a Singapore citizen, there's actually no need to even touch the emergency fund as we as we mentioned throughout this whole episode. There are many ways that you know you cannot you don't even need to to eat into your cash savings uh, to, to get a house. The real dilemma, I feel, should come for people who are unable to, you know, meet that convenient category, who say maybe are not eligible for a HGB flat or who are not eligible for a BTO or HGB loan, for example, and, and they need to have housing. Uh, in which case, sometimes it might, it might actually just be better to, to you know, find alternative housing uh, options, uh, um, say renting, for example, or like co-owning, co no, can't, okay, la, I mean, I guess if you're under 35, you can't really own a property of your own. Uh, but yeah, listen, there are ways to, to go about it without needing to think about actual buying a property, actually making the down payment. Uh, always focus on the emergency funds first. La. Yeah, I, I think that is some really sound advice. And actually, going back to what I said in the beginning, I thought that uh, maybe first-time buyers and first-time homeowners who don't have a reasonable size saving yet might fall victim to this. But Bay said just now a phrase um, that I think really resonated with other demographics also. He mentioned that if you're not overstretching yourself, you are okay. Um, so it made me think that maybe even if people do have reasonable size savings, but if they decide to go for a house that is out of their league, they would probably also fall victim to this. Like, I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to getting the right house for you. Like, don't you know the saying, it's not about the size, it's about how you use it. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah but yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think as we close this episode, um, I, I think being financially savvy or being financially woke isn't just about making sure like your savings are, are okay like oh i make sure i save at least 30 percent of my salary every month or you know you have to make sure you have a diverse portfolio or whether you're on the right track to an early retirement this kind of things but it also includes knowing when and what kind of house you can afford if you're interested in continuing this journey of learning how to house do consider dropping us a follow on whichever platform you're listening to us on Alright, that's it from us today. If you have any questions, feel free to send it over to us, podcast at mortgagemaster.com.sg. And 
If you're enjoying to what you're listening to, or if you know a friend who's planning to get a house soon and might need some advice or help or looking for some educational content, spread the word and send them our way. Okay, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, today's outro. Since it was 6-9 yesterday, let's take a look at some things that happened 69 years ago in 1952. Okay, so firstly, the polio vaccine was developed. Uh, microwaves became available for domestic use. I honestly don't know how I lived before having a microwave in my house. Uh, the average cost of a new house in the US was $9,000. And 1952 was the year that Queen Elizabeth II first took reign. Yes, it has been 69 years. And for all those things, all I can say is... Nice. nice. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Till the next episode, see ya! Oh, 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 oh,